Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. Hello, I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. And today, I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Rosie Toomey. She's a research fellow at the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. Welcome, Dr. Toomey. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're going to talk about a recent article that she and her colleagues published in PTJ, the title of which is Chronic Fatigue and Post-Exertional Malaise in People Living with Long COVID. It's a really timely topic, an important topic, so I was very pleased to read your study. Uh, The goal of the study was to do a detailed assessment of symptoms in 213 people who had long COVID to help inform the development of physiotherapy and rehabilitation recommendations going forward. The study focused on severity of fatigue, symptoms of dysfunctional breathing, post-exertional malaise, physical activity, and health-related quality of life. So let me start with a question about long COVID and how you defined it in your study, Dr. Tooming. As, as I understand it, in reading your article, you defined long COVID as a condition that was defined by symptoms that persisted for three months from the onset of COVID and persisted thereafter for at least two more months that can't be explained by some alternative diagnosis. Is that fair? Yes. So that's that's the clinical case definition from the World Health Organization. And, and do we know from the literature the most common symptoms of people with long COVID and how prevalent they tend to be? Yeah. So some of the most frequently reported symptoms include profound fatigue and a reduced ability to go about usual daily activities. Cognitive impairment, which is often described by the patient as brain fog or difficulties with thinking and focusing. Shortness of breath and other breathing issues. Persistent cough can be a common symptom. Heart palpitations or tachycardia, so racing heartbeat. Uh, Chest pain or tightness. And also headaches and lightheadedness. But probably the most consistently reported of those symptoms is fatigue. And of course, that list is not exhaustive. There are wide ranging symptoms. Um, But coming back to fatigue, one thing I want to highlight is that rather than everyday tiredness or weariness that we can all feel from time to time, reports from patients in the literature thus far have described um, persistent or chronic fatigue. And chronic fatigue is a hallmark of several clinical conditions, particularly neurological illnesses. And it does differ from everyday tiredness and it differs from fatigue induced by, for example, if you did an intense or long exercise session, because it's not easily relieved by rest or by sleep. And that means it can continue for months. And so fatigue is a particularly uh, prevalent symptom And in terms of prevalence of long COVID more broadly, um, estimates do tend to vary based on the sampling strategy 
and the, whether they've used the uh, World Health Organization clinical case definition, which is relatively recent. But I think some of the most um, robust data comes from a sample from the UK COVID-19 infection survey data, where they found 13.7% of um, individuals continue to experience symptoms of long COVID for at least 12 weeks. The range of symptoms is quite broad. I think it's one of the challenges with COVID-19. Every time I develop a symptom, I think I have COVID. Um, the trajectory, as you've begun to indicate, sounds like it's a little different than with some of these other conditions. Is that one of the hallmarks of COVID? Uh, so the difficulty is, is that the symptoms with long COVID, they can fluctuate in severity. Um, and so many patients describe the trajectory as being unpredictable and even episodic. So other words that have been used to describe it are relapse remitting. And that's something that's used in other clinical conditions. And the thing is, is that this combination of symptoms, so the chronic fatigue and the symptoms worsening unpredictably or with activity, this has led to comparisons with another often post-viral condition, which is called myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome. So that's abbreviated to ME-CFS. And one of the hallmark symptoms of ME-CFS is, as you mentioned, it's called post-exertional malaise or PEM for short. And PEM is a worsening of symptoms, reduction in function, physical, social function, after what can be even minor physical, cognitive, emotional activity, and it wouldn't have caused a problem before the illness. And so post-exertional malaise is also called post-exertional symptom exacerbation. And it can be an immediate energy crash, but the thing that makes it so tricky for patients to manage is that it can also be delayed and the onset can occur um, even as late as 24 to 72 hours after the activity. But with chronic fatigue and post-exertional malaise, those are not the only factors required for an ME-CFS diagnosis. ME-CFS diagnosis is a little bit more in-depth and comprehensive. But if it is occurring alongside some of the other indicators of ME-CFS, which include things like the substantial reduction in the ability to engage in activities that would usually be normal and manageable before the illness unrefreshing sleep, cognitive impairment that I mentioned, or orthostatic intolerance. This is tricky because these can also occur in people with ME-CFS. So you can see why the comparisons are being made between long COVID and ME-CFS. And current thinking is that a large subset, and certainly not all, but a, a subset of people living with long COVID would probably meet diagnostic criteria for ME-CFS. But there are, are lots of barriers to accessing that diagnosis. But the similarities to date have led to um, ongoing research on ME-CFS starting to expand to include a long COVID cohort. Um, and certainly uh, people in the long COVID research and patient community have benefited from some of the expertise and lived experience of those in the ME-CFS community, including physical therapists. Let's talk specifically about your survey. You did an online sample. Can you talk uh, a bit with our listeners about the nature of the sample and how generalizable you feel that it is? Yeah, so we included adults who had been experiencing persistent or long-term symptoms due to COVID-19 
And around two thirds of our sample had been experiencing symptoms for more than 10 months. And the majority had been experiencing for more than six months. And these symptoms were not present before the confirmed or suspected infection with COVID-19. And I say confirmed or suspected because participants either had to have a laboratory confirmed case of COVID-19, or if they didn't have access or couldn't access testing, we included people with a probable infection. So these were people that may have had a close contact with a confirmed case of COVID-19. They might have been linked with an outbreak and they had an acute illness that mimicked the presentation of COVID-19. And the thing is, is that some of the existing research uh, using surveys excluded people that didn't have a confirmed case. Um, But there are, especially early in the pandemic, there are many reasons why someone might not have been able to access testing or may not have received a positive test. Also, some of the survey research to date has only included hospitalized patients. And we know that long COVID can occur in people who have had relatively mild, and I use that in with speech marks, um, COVID-19. And so in that sense, our sample is perhaps more generalizable. But, um, and I should say also one of the strengths of our study is how strict and robust the data cleaning processes were. So we've used a really systematic process to carefully check all of the records for any evidence of poor data quality or any inconsistencies. So that's a strength. But with that said, one of the main limitations of online survey designs in general is that there's the potential for selection bias. So for example, people living with long COVID who were experiencing fatigue, post-exertional malaise or breathlessness may have been more inclined to participate in our survey than people who were not experiencing those specific symptoms. But in contrast, those with more severe fatigue may have been less likely to take part due to energy limitations. So it's difficult to know the impact and the direction of the selection bias. Um, and And that just means that our data on prevalence should be interpreted with some caution. But our conclusion about the fact that chronic fatigue and post exertional malaise is a common and significant challenge for the majority of our sample that remains. Yeah, and I think you fairly point that out in your article. And as you've just noted, the majority of your sample did have chronic fatigue and some level of post-exertional symptom exacerbation. How severe were those symptoms in your sample? Yeah, so if we take the fatigue first, we used a tool called the Functional Assessment of Chronic Illness Therapy Fatigue Scale, so the FACET-F it's called. And this is a self-report questionnaire that was originally developed for use in people with cancer-related fatigue, um, but it has clinical utility in several other clinical conditions. And because this questionnaire is so widely recommended and used to measure fatigue severity, it meant that we were able to compare scores in people with long covid with previously published scores in several other clinical conditions. And we found that the severity of fatigue in people with long COVID is at least as severe as that found in these other clinical conditions. So that includes um, people with chronic cancer-related fatigue, uh, post-stroke fatigue, fatigue in people living with COPD or rheumatoid arthritis. Um, So, and to give an even better idea of the severity of the fatigue, we also used a clinical cut point that has been validated in people with cancer based on a diagnostic interview. And we found that 90% of our sample of people with long COVID 
had fatigue that was clinically significant based on this cut point. So in summary, it's severe. Um, and for the post-exertional malaise... Can I stop you? Before you go on to the post-exertional symptoms, I want you to talk a little bit about how severity of the fatigue related to other phenomenon that you studied in this sample, because I think that that'll be a nice connection. Yeah, sure. So it, it was expected on our part because we do have a background in chronic fatigue. And so we found that the more severe the fatigue, um, the more uh, basically uh, severe fatigue was significantly associated with worse health-related quality of life across several domains of health-related quality of life. So some of the strongest correlations were with um, higher fatigue and lower physical functioning and higher fatigue levels and lower social functioning. Um, but also higher fatigue and more perceived change in health status. So in this case, worse health um, in comparison to health one year previously. And did you use the SF36 to look at health-related quality of life? I can't recall. Yes, we did. And we used that because, again, it's a widely used questionnaire and it allowed us to make some comparison with other clinical conditions. And was severity of fatigue related to the mental uh, components of the SF36? Yes. So um, less strong correlations, but yes, it was. Let's go back. I interrupted you. You were going to say something about the post-exertional symptoms as well. Yeah. So um, on the line of severity of the post-exertional malaise, because that might be slightly less familiar to your audience, perhaps. But we used a tool that has been validated in people with MECFS. So post-exertional malaise is a hallmark symptom in MECFS. Uh, so it's called the Deepal Symptom Questionnaire, post-exertional malaise. Uh, and this questionnaire asks participants about how frequent and how severe symptoms are and these symptoms are things like how um how someone can feel physically drained or sick after mild activity and worsening of fatigue after even minimal mental effort and whether these symptoms last for more than 24 hours after the activity and the scoring of this questionnaire is a little complex but the main takeaway is that as you said, most people were living with some level of post-exertional symptom exacerbation, but close to 59% met the strict scoring thresholds that are used and validated for the measurement of post-exertional malaise in people with MECFS. So again, it's clinically significant. And I think there's this common misconception about the severity and impact of fatigue, partly because it's an invisible symptom um, that can be really difficult for people to articulate and that means it can be easy for people to, to dismiss as oh well we all get tired and we all feel tired after activity um, but researchers and physical therapists who work with people with chronic fatigue and post-exertional malaise know that it's it's not trivial and that's that's what I really wanted to convey. Yeah well you did very nicely. Um, my next question has to do with a study that you made reference to which I thought was really interesting. They studied over a half a million people in the United Kingdom, and they were able to identify two distinct long COVID symptom profiles or phenotypes, which I always find helpful. When, when I can think of phenotypes, it helps me remember what are the, the key characteristics of a particular condition. And in this study, they talked about 
a phenotype that was predominantly respiratory and then a phenotype that was predominantly fatigue or tiredness. Did you identify similar phenotypes in your sample or was that not possible? So it wasn't possible because of the sample size. For for that type of study, as you said, they had over half a million people. Um, And so the statistical analysis uh, required requires also a a very large sample size. But one thing that we did find in our sample, we were also interested in those respiratory symptoms. And we found that um, over half of our sample also reported significant breathlessness and other respiratory symptoms that can be broadly defined as breathing discomfort. Um, And so I collaborate with a respiratory physiotherapist who is a co-author on this paper, Jessica DeMars. um, And we find that a common experience for patients is that they'll go to have a respiratory test, a pulmonary function test, and they come back with normal results. And where that happens, it might be that there are some chronic changes in breathing patterns uh, that result in this breathing discomfort. And so respiratory physiotherapy may actually be helpful for these patients. But yes, that was a very, very interesting study. And it certainly highlights that there are um, different clusters and different symptom profiles. Last question. Uh, you said one of the reasons you did the study was to try to draw some rehab implications. What are the main ones that you would want to share with our listeners? And what, what do you see as the, what do we know about the prognosis for people with long COVID? Uh, yeah, so firstly, as we as we were just talking about, due to these differences in the clinical presentations of long COVID between individuals, simple blanket rehabilitation interventions that might be used in other specific populations are very unlikely to offer an easy solution in long COVID. Um, it's more likely that multidisciplinary interventions that are tailored to different symptom profiles are going to be more effective. Um, and the thing is, is that currently there's quite limited information. And as uh, your audience are primarily physical therapists, exercise is a common tool in the physical therapy toolbox. And there's very limited information about whether exercise is beneficial for people living with long COVID. But we do know that caution is needed because of post-exertional malaise. And it can be incredibly non-intuitive to consider that exercise can be harmful if it's causing a deterioration in function and setbacks or relapses that are described with people with long COVID. And so that's that's something to kind of highlight. It, it's, um, it's something that means that post-exertional malaise and responses to different intervention components needs to be monitored. There is still a lot to learn about the trajectory of long COVID through carefully designed studies, but anecdotally at least, we do know that some people do improve over time, but the time frame for this improvement might be longer than traditional rehabilitation programs. Um, for patients, there's lots of research underway, and um, so I, I do want patients to be hopeful that the underlying physiology is being investigated, although we are um, the, the prognosis is largely unknown unknown we we do know that people can improve um, the trajectory of post-exertional malaise in particular is something that's unknown but as I said previously many of the participants in this sample were um, more than 10 months since their COVID-19 infection and so that's something that needs to be considered in rehabilitation interventions and any physical activity plan really needs to be carefully designed and based on individual presentation with input and feedback from each individual patient. And lastly, so we use this 
screening questionnaire for post-exertional malaise in this study. And that's something that physical therapists might find helpful to facilitate discussions with individuals who might be experiencing post-exertional malaise. I actually am involved in a self-management program for people with long COVID. And one of the things that we really focus on initially is ensuring symptom stabilization to make sure people aren't on this roller coaster of cyclical symptoms that is over time potentially reducing function. Pacing in particular, this is a self-management strategy that comes from both people with MECFS and also other conditions such as chronic pain. And so this is a self-management strategy that helps an individual balance their activities with rest to avoid inducing post-exertional malaise. By the way, do you have the um, ability to go back to these uh, 300 plus people to follow up on how they're doing, say, six or 12 months from now, or is that not possible? Unfortunately not, and it is a regret. Um, I did make the survey anonymous for data privacy reasons, but I am instead planning a new study to look at long-term trajectory of these symptoms. Good for you. Well, Dr. Toomey, thank you for taking the time for sharing your work with our audience, and um, best of success with your continued research. Thank you. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.